please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be studying and looking at verses 11 through 22. While you're turning there, um, I didn't know if I didn't know if Tyler was going to show up today or not. But anyway, Callahan Ty Miller was born yesterday uh, to Grace and Tyler Miller. And so little Callahan is uh, doing great. Uh, and uh, they're organizing a prayer, a prayer, a meal train. And if you're interested in being a part of that, you could talk to Mary or Jan. How'd I do? Okay, good. They like pretty much anything that will sustain them through sleepless nights <laughs> yeah, and everything there. Let's, um, let's pray together before we come to look at the word. Father, help us now, we pray. This Bible that is open on our laps, we have experienced your power through it, and we have come to know and understand that this is your very word. That what the Bible says, you say. And so, Father, we ask that you will help us with reverence and with real passion. We pray that you will help us to study your word, stretch our minds if need be. We pray that you will help us that we would grasp what great things you have done, what you have done for us. Bless us and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying the book of Ephesians for quite a long time now, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but again, I want to repeat, Paul has not given us one commandment to do yet, not one, okay? All he's been doing is telling us how incredibly blessed we are. That's what he's been doing for almost two full verses. What blessed people we are. And how great God is for what he's done for us. That's all this has been about. It's just been good news after good news. Even the bad news turns into good news. Dead in trespasses and sins, but by his grace he saved you. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Adopted in Christ Jesus. Forgiven of all of your sins through his blood. Given the Holy Spirit. Strengthened with all might. All of this, all of this done in union with Christ. Paul just keeps going on and on and on. And guess what? We're going to start a new section, and it's going to continue on as well. It's going to continue on. In fact, if I could, uh, if I could designate this Sunday, we have Super Bowl Sunday and all that kind of goofy stuff, I would designate this one Big Picture Sunday because Paul's going to give us a big picture right now. And we're going to try to, what I'm going to try to do is give us sort of an overview of 11 through 22 of chapter 2 in a big picture. You see, you see that when studying the book of Ephesians, and I'm sure you've probably realized this now as you've been following along in this, studying a book like Ephesians, literally every phrase is glorious. Every phrase is glorious. We are, I look at verse 10, we are his workmanship. That's glorious. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not of works, verse 9. Less than, you could literally do a series of sermons on every phrase. And the danger with that is, is that we can lose the big picture. And so what I want to do is sort of give us the next big sweeping picture of what Paul is going to deal with in verses 11 through 22. Now, before we begin to do that, though, I want you to see also something very important. And that is, for all that we have been blessed with in terms of this book of Ephesians and the great and 
is eternal and majestic and supreme transcendent truths about it is very practical. It really helps us. And I want to point that out here in the introduction and then follow it up in the, in the application. And that's this. We live in a, ta- a day and an age where there's a great struggle going on in everybody's mind and in the worldview that we live in and what's called modern man. And that's because modern man is trying to bring together two things that just keep contradicting each other. How do you bring together two things that that contradict each other? And what they are is this. Number one, modern man has determined that the self, the personal self, is the center of the universe. This is why, by the way, as modern men, we're very boring. We're very bland. We're very, we're very narrow-minded. You know, we, we think about oh, eating cool stuff and doing neat things and figuring out who I am. And, and it's all just so little. Like, our vision is so little. It's so different than the book of Ephesians. But with the modern self, what we do is we have this one really big job in the modern self, and that is to come up with our individual identity. We have our own truth. We can make up our own identity. And so we have to figure out who we are. And to do that, we latch on to, to small little things, okay? My gender. My gender. My sexual orientation. And so somebody will say, well, I'm transgender. Or somebody will say, well, I'm gay. Or somebody say, well, I'm straight. Well, I'm bi. And that, that's your identity. Now, for some people, it's race. They, they focus on their race. I'm, I'm black. I'm Hispanic. I'm Asian. And, and so they focus on that. For some, it's their political party. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm independent. Uh, I'm the, the left. I'm of the right. I'm woke. I, I'm anti-woke. Whatever. I don't know what they do. Anyway, it, it, we get this. And so this is very important. And, and you have to value me. And you have to, agree, you have to affirm me and, 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 and such. And so that's one of the contradictions and one of the struggles. On the other side, and this is the contradictory thing, modern man wants to put the focus on self, and then modern man wants to have a global united community. We want globalism. We want one world uh, just getting together and everybody affirming one another. And those contradict each other because... I'm going to be my own little autonomous self, and you've got, to, you've got to agree with me on that. And yet we're all supposed to be one big happy family, and it's not working. It just simply doesn't work because it's a contradiction. And, and I heard somebody say uh, uh, this week, actually, he said this. He, said, he was talking about the beginning of the 20th century. In the beginning of the 20th century, that's 19, oh, 1900 to, to the year 2000. In the beginning of the 20th century, there was all kinds of optimism. Technology was advancing, knowledge was advancing, we were able to do things, and they were looking forward to, and they talked about this in 1910 and 1901 and all that, they talked about this, we are about to see the bursting of of this beautiful global community and, and technology and peace, and then we had not one, two world wars, two world wars. And the same thing is happening today, that the technology and intellectual advancement and, and such like that is not producing what we thought it would produce. Well, here's the good news. Those values where people get along and people are one, and that, that's actually going to happen. Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it with his kingdom. And in fact, he's doing it today. He's the prince of peace, and he's going to build a kingdom, and ultimately that kingdom is going to explode, as it were, in glory, in a new heavens and a new earth, 
and a global unity and love for one another. And that's where this is going, this text that we have today. It's helping us to see that that's what's going to happen. And this text begins, though, with a great divide. It begins with a great divide. Let's look at that great divide. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We begin with the great divide, and here the divide is between Jews and Gentiles. Now, to you and I today, this doesn't seem like that's that important, okay? I mean, let's face it. Uh, it just the, 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 the division between Jews and Gentiles doesn't seem that important unless you live in the Middle East, unless you live in Israel or Jordan or, or, or Iran or something like that. This doesn't seem that important. Jewish people are, are a very small minority in this world. Uh, Jewish people are, 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 are you know, the, you, you, this isn't a big divide for us today. But an argument can be made that this divide between Jews and Gentiles was actually the most important decision in the history of the world ever. It can be made that. Why? Why? Why was that so important? Well, here's why it was so important. Because Israel, in, in its beginning and, it, and as God had formed it, Israel was a unique nation that had a very unique role in this world. And in fact... God is the one who made the divide. God is the one who made the divide. God is the one who took this nation, and with this nation, he, in a unique way, revealed himself, in a unique way, showed himself, in a unique way, uh, uh, made promises, in a unique way, brought salvation. And so he was working with this nation in a way that he wasn't working with any of the other nations. The Jews were in. The Gentiles were out. The Jew, to be Jewish was incredibly important. Listen to what Dave, uh, Paul says about, about Jews. In, in Romans chapter 3, he says, what's the advantage of being a Jew? And he says, much in every way, because to them was given the oracles of God. To the Jews were given the Old Testament. The revelation of God, the, the, the word of God. Then in chapter 9, he talks about this. He says, he talks about his countrymen, he says, who are the Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and with from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. The Jewish nation was formed by God, was kept uniquely separated by God. God made promises to Abraham and to Abraham and to his seed. And then God brought Moses on the scene, delivered them out of Egypt, and he gave them and made them, formed them into an actual nation. And that nation had a law. It had the Torah. It had laws. And it, and it, was, it was given a priesthood. And it was given a tabernacle where God dwelt. And then, it was given, then that eventually was made into a temple. And God had a unique dwelling place amongst the Jews. He would, he would dwell amongst them. And God gave them, he, he, he gave them signs as to whether who was in and who was out. And circumcision was the sign of whether you were in or you were out. God gave them all kinds of laws about what they could eat and not eat. 
He gave them all kinds of laws of what they could wear and not wear, what they could do and not do. And, and, and those things kept them separate. They kept them separate. The law was like a hedge around them to keep them separate. He wanted to keep them separate and holy because when they violated that law, they started wandering into the pagan lands and there's the Moabites and they got a bunch of beautiful women over there. And there's the Amalekites and they've got all these cool gods over there. And they started, they started just watering down, watering down till they all became like Gentiles. And so God kept them. He kept them with this hedge around them, this wall around them. And in that, he gave them uh, the, 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 the celebrations and, 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 and such. And he gave them a, a sacrificed lamb so that they, they could be atoned for. And all of this was supposed to be pointing to something deeper and richer. The circumcision outwardly was supposed to point to circumcision of the heart. And, of course, the, the, the sacrificed lamb was, was supposed to point to the coming Messiah. And so all of this was taking place, and God kept them separate from the nations. And so, if you were Jewish and you were circumcised, you were in. If you were a Gentile, you were out. If you were uncircumcised, you were out. If you were, if you were Jewish and you kept the law and, and, and kept the ceremonies and you were part of that, you were near God. If you were a Gentile, you were far from God. And that's what he's saying here. Look at what he says in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles, now he's talking to the Ephesians, you, they're, they're primarily a Gentile church, you, therefore, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, so you see there's a, there's a good team and a bad team here, verse 12, at that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, Having no hope, and in the word here is atheos, atheos, where we get atheist, and without God in the world. You were out. You were far off. You were out. Now, there's one more thing that the Torah did, the law did, when it, the law came to Israel. The law had lots of purposes. One was to keep them separate. One was to point them to Messiah who was coming. One was to show them the holiness of God and how you approached him through only through a priest, only with blood sacrifices. One was to show them that he was gracious and, and there was a sacrificed lamb so that your sins could be forgiven. But the other thing that the law did is it condemned everybody. It showed us that we were sinners. We couldn't keep the law. That's why what Jake read this morning in 2 Corinthians 3, the, the, the law, the old covenant, the old covenant under Moses was called the ministry of death. And the new covenant is called the ministry of the spirit. The old covenant said that the law was written on stone. In the new covenant, it's written upon people's hearts. In the old covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, it's called the ministry of condemnation. The new covenant is called the ministry of righteousness. The old covenant is passing away. The new covenant is glorious. You see, the, the law did something else. The law showed us that we were sinners. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, uh, Paul writes this, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Later on in Romans 7, Paul starts to talk about uh, the fact that the law showed him his sin. And it actually aggravated his sin. Paul says, when, I, when the law told me not to covet, I started coveting more. And so I realized I was condemned because I was a coveter. And I realized that sin is so evil in me that it makes me want to do more because God said no. And so in chapter 7, verse 10, it says this. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. The for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. So the law killed Paul, he said. 
Now, that doesn't mean the law is bad. He says, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Well, certainly not. It's not the law's fault. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what was good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the law was to keep them separated, to show them about God's holiness, keep them from the Gentiles, but the law also condemned them. It condemned them, showed them their need for Christ, showed them a need for, 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 um, for salvation. So the result was deep divisions, deep divisions between people. Uh-uh, you're out, you're not circumcised, you're out. Nope, you, you're, you're despised, you're not of our commonwealth, you don't belong here, you're not part of us. It was a division, there was enmity actually, and deep division and enmity with God. We broke his law. He gave us the law, but we broke his law. And we're Gentiles, we have no law, we're atheistic, we're out here, we're, not, we're broken in relationship with you too. And so everybody's broken. Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, all of us with God, we're all broken. It's all broken. The whole system is broken. And Christ came to fix that. That's what Christ came to do. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ has come to fix this problem. Now, let's pause for a second. Let's take a break here for a second. Let's back up for a second. I just want to talk to you about something that I found, and I've been, it's been renewed in my life, is way cool about God. Now, I know that sounds like some kind of stupid former hippie talking, but, and it is, but anyway, this is, this is, I want to get your attention here. There's something really amazing about God that I have come to experience in a deeper way through studying the book of Ephesians, and that's this. God really wants people and him to get along. God wants people to be united. God wants people to, to love each other. And God wants people to be close, and he wants them to be close to him. God's this kind of person. You know, some people, they, you, you put them in a room, and they just divide people. They're opinionated. They're mean. They're, they're this. They're that. And before you know it, they're playing politics, and they got, they got this guy whispering his ear and get him mad at him. Some people are like that. That's devilish, okay? Other people try to bring people together, try to help them to love one another. And God, by nature, is this. And God is a God of reconciliation. He reconciles the world to himself by sending his son, the Bible says. God wants people to, have, to, to be united. He wants them close. He wants them to have affection. God wants to have that with them. God is gathering a family now that he's going to live forever with in earth. And that's how God is. That's who he is. God, God knows the awful effect of brokenness and division and how hurtful and ugly that is. Think of a marriage. A marriage where there's fighting and strife and brokenness. They don't even want to talk to each other anymore. They don't even want to be with each other anymore. Think of two friends that one time were so close, and then they get into a fight for some reason, and then they're, they're broken, and they, they don't talk. They don't, they don't even like being around each other. They get mad when they think about the other. Think of a family where siblings are fighting, and all of a sudden you used to have these family gatherings, and Christmas was a delight, Thanksgiving was a delight, and now, and now you don't even, some don't even, I don't, I'm not even coming. 
They, they, it's, there's brokenness, and, and what, what, how difficult that is on everybody, how, how hurtful, how, how sad that is. But then think about how beautiful it is when people reconcile. When that husband and wife reconcile, and now they, they delight to be with each other. They want to be with each other. They, they're excited about each other again. Those two friends reconcile. And now they, they, they hug, and, they, and they, they, they just love being close again. And, and all of a sudden, the, the warmth and affection that they had for each other starts flowing again. The conversation starts flowing again. The laughter starts flowing again, and it's fun again. Imagine the family where there's reconciliation, and brother and sister, and, and, and that come together. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's a really happy Christmas. It's a really happy Thanksgiving or something like that. That stuff, I've come to the realization, that's the stuff God loves. And that's what the new heavens and new earth is going to represent. It's going to represent all of these people reconciled to God, with God, a part of God, and reconciled to each other. Now, how's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? It's going to happen through Christ and what Christ has done. And that's Paul's point. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, in Christ, there's that union with Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here we go. They're, bringing, they're being reconciled in and brought near. Now notice how he opens this up, verse 14. Now, what I want you to look in this, as you're seeing this, is remember last week I talked about how God does all the heavy lifting and we just get all the blessings in many ways? Look at what Christ does. Just start looking at what, at, if, you, if you underline in your Bible, if you, if you don't, that's okay too, but uh, I underline them, and it's amazing how many underlines here. I just underlined what Christ did. Well, first of all, in verse 13, he brought us near, okay? But then look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is the answer to the whole problem of reconciliation. He is our peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Now notice what he does, verse 14. Who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So Christ makes us both one, creates. We're created in Christ Jesus, he says in verse 10. There it is again. He made us both one. And number two, he broke down the middle wall of separation. Number uh, Verse 15 and the third thing he does, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man uh, from the two, thus making peace. So look at all Christ does in verses 14 and 15. He makes, he breaks down, he abolishes, he creates, he makes peace. Christ is doing all that. How does he do this? Well, he does it through the blood of his cross, through the blood, through the crucifixion. What does he do? He breaks down the middle wall of separation. The, the word means it's, it's a wall. It's a, the, the, first of all, the word means it's a partition. It's a wall. But it's a partition and a wall that is built to separate. He, he, he breaks that down. He busts it down. Remember when the, most of you don't, but it, when the Berlin Wall was up, it separated Berlin, East Berlin from West Berlin, and East Berliners were under the Soviet domination, West Berliners were free, but there was a wall. And many times people would try to get over that wall and they'd be machine gunned down or they'd be grabbed and sent to the gulags and you never hear from them again. And then the wall came down and, and the Berliners were smashing that wall down and people were walking in and out. That's what's going on here. Jesus broke down that wall. And what is the wall? What is the enmity? What caused the enmity? It's the law. It's the law. 
Notice what he says. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Remember the law with all, you, you can only eat this, much, this food. You have to keep these things. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all this. That keeps us in. That keeps them out. Christ, Christ ends that. And that's why Paul says, in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. Jesus fulfilled the law. In Christ Jesus, uh, all of the, he is, becomes the high priest. He becomes the atonement lamb. We become the temple we're about to see. We become the priesthood. He is the high priest. He declares all foods clean. The celebrations, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days and all of that. Paul says those were a shadow that were pointing to Christ. Don't go back to them. The law has been fulfilled. The law has been completed. The wall has been taken down. None of that is important. What's important is Christ Jesus. And he has made peace between the two of us because of that. He's created. Now notice what it says here in verse, the end of verse 15. He creates in himself one new man. And what I told you last week is absolutely true. He should, that could best be translated one new humanity. He's not talking about the individual man created in Christ Jesus, although that's a part of it. One new humanity, because we know that, because notice the next phrase, from the two. What does he mean? From Jew and Gentile, God makes, one, in Christ, Christ creates one new humanity. One new humanity. The, those distinctions break down, and there's one new humanity. Flip in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We, we refer to Galatians so much because there's so many parallels, but it's the book right before Ephesians. You only have to flip a few pages. And look at what it says in Galatians 3, verse 26. Those of you who have paper Bibles, you'll get there quicker than the people with phones. I, I'm, I'm, I'm prejudiced about, about paper Bibles, but anyway, you can get there real quick. Look at what it says in Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There it is right there. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All of the Old Testament promises are fulfilled in you. And so Christ Jesus came, died upon the cross, took the penalty of the law upon himself, lived a perfectly righteous life, ended, abolished, tore down that, that barrier between us and brought together Jew and Gentile into one humanity. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, male, female, all brought together into one beautiful humanity. That's, that's, that's God's way. That's God's way. Stop dividing. Stop fighting. Let's be one. Let's be one, one humanity. But there's more. We still have this broken relationship with God. Jesus takes care of that too. Look at verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The enmity what? Between man and man? Yes. The enmity between man and God? Yes. Notice that. He reconciled them both to God. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to God, not as Jews and Gentiles, but as one body on his one body because he's the head of the new humanity. 
And when he died upon the cross, we died upon the cross. And when he was punished for sin, our sins were punished. And he reconciled us to God in his body as one new body, as one humanity. And so now we're reconciled to God. That's what Paul is getting at here. We have been made reconciled to God. And so the reconciliation, notice how Jesus is doing here. Jesus is bringing all things together. He's bringing all people together as one. But there's more. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. What does that mean? Jesus came. Well, Jesus never went to Ephesus. So what does that mean? It means as Jesus sent out his apostles and sent out his church to proclaim the gospel around the world, we're still doing this today, sending out missionaries, sending out, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off as these people are preaching Christ is speaking his peace to them and to those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus dies upon the cross. He dies as the new head of the new humanity. He dies on our behalf. He unites us to God. He unites us to one another. He pours out his spirit upon us. He's bringing us all together. And he brings us together as one through the Holy Spirit. We have access to God. We have a relationship with God. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We are one. And we have been united to God. And this is an amazing thing that God has done. Turn with me to the book of Acts. I, I, it, when this thing dawned on the Jewish apostles, what God was doing, it astounded them. It astounded them. The apostle Peter was pretty much dragged, kicking and screaming, into Cornelius the Gentile's house. He had never been in a Gentile's house before. And he walked into this Gentile house because God made him. God told him to. So he, go, he walks into this Gentile's house, Cornelius, and he begins to preach to Cornelius and to the people that are gathered there in that household. And he tells them about Jesus. Doesn't know why he's there. Doesn't know why he's telling them this. Why would he do this to the uncircumcised? Why would he do this to these Gentile dogs? Why would he do this to these people who are far away? Why would he do these to these people that are on the outside? These people are, who are not citizens of the nation of Israel, not heirs of the covenant, not heirs of the promise. Why in the world does God have him there? I don't know, he says, but I'm just going to preach because he told me to preach. And then, boom, something amazing happens. Look at verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed in Christ were astonished. What? The Holy Spirit is being given to uncircumcised Gentiles? This is amazing. And it says... Peter, I'm sorry, they were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered and said, can anybody forget, forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. There are people. They're with us. We're fellow citizens. They have the same Holy Spirit we do. They've been accepted by God through Christ. 
They are ours. So let's baptize them into this new humanity. This new humanity. All of a sudden they realize this new humanity, this new people includes these Gentiles. We're one with them. And I love how the next verse, which seems to say nothing, but in some ways says everything. Look at verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then look what it says next. And then they asked him to stay a few days. That's beautiful. Hey, uh, Peter, you know, we could, we, we got some extra beds here, and we got some food, and, and then why don't you all stay with us, and, and we'll fellowship for a few days. And they did, because they were one in Christ. Now, let's look. Go back to Ephesians now, and I'm, I'm only going to hit the highlights, because we're going to spend some time in these ahead, because verses 19 through 22 are amazing. Look at God's, look at the result of what God has done through Christ, through the cross, through breaking down the wall. Look at what, look at what result there is, especially for you and I, us Gentiles. Verse 19, now therefore, now you see you need to understand there's a temporal, there's a, there's a time thing going on here. Because remember verse 11, he says, remember what you once were, and then in verse 13, but now and then he goes back in, and now he's doing the same thing. But now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 12. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. Now, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens with the saints, you, are, you have your passport. You have naturalization papers. You are part of the people of God. You are in. You are them. See, I have an American passport, okay? I have an American passport. If I try to get into the Dominican Republic or I try to get into Zambia or I try to get into another country, I have no right to get into that country unless they give me the right to get into that country. But if I show up at the border of the United States of America and I hand that passport, they have no right to keep me out of this country. This is my country, and this is my right into that country. And what Paul is saying here is this. You pagan Gentiles who were once in darkness, you now hold passports to the kingdom of God. You hold passports to this new humanity. You are citizens of this new humanity. You have all of the rights and privileges of this new humanity, this one new man that is being created in Christ Jesus. You're as equal as Jewish people are in this light of God. You are as equal as Jewish believers. Jewish believers are not more citizens than you are. You are in. You are the people of God. You are there. That's what he's saying there. Now notice what he says next, because it's beautiful. And members of the household of God. I would, I would have translated that like this, because the word allows it. And members of the family of God. I was holding little Callahan yesterday, and I was talking to him. And uh, I was telling Callahan stuff. And one of the things I said to him is I said, Callahan, you, you don't know this right now, because he hadn't even met Ivy yet. I said, you don't know this right now, but you're a part of a huge family. You have lots of cousins, and you have lots of uncles and aunts, and you have grandparents, and you've got a whole tribe of people that are for you and are going to take care of you and love you. You, you. And Callahan doesn't realize what, what a blessing he has you know, being brought into a, a family like that you know, and what it means to be loved. And this is what God is saying in this verse. You are members of my family now. 
In Christ Jesus, you are in my family. You're part of my family. Now he changes the imagery. He's telling these Gentiles, you were out, now you're in. You were strangers, now you're citizens. You were not part of the household of God, now you're in the family. Verse 20, having been built on the, now he uses this architectural thing. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now he's saying to the Gentiles, by the way, in the Old Testament temple, there was a court of the Gentiles. They weren't even allowed to get close. There were partition walls. They weren't allowed there. They were the courts. Now he's not only saying, are you in the temple? He's saying, you are the temple. God is building a temple of living stones. He's building a temple, a worldwide temple. And this temple is made of, of people of different races and socioeconomic backgrounds and Jews and Gentiles and white and black and Asian and Hispanic and, and, and such. And they're, they're, they're all these, they're men and they're women and there's children and they're all different. And they're being brought into this beautiful, beautiful temple. And this temple is a living temple now. It's living people. And it's it's living stones, and it's a temple. But what's a temple for? What's a temple for? Then look at what he says in verse 22. In whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God lives in the midst of you. This is He's beginning to develop his incredible theology of the church here. You are the people of God. You are the dwelling place of God on earth. You are the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. You are the special people. This is the big picture. Now, let's, let's, let's apply this to ourselves. We live in a world where people are focusing on individual identity, and, and they're leading with this. I, oh, I'm, I'm trans. I'm, I'm gay. I'm straight. I'm Democrat. I'm Republican. I'm this. I'm that. I'm this. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is why I'm different than you. This, they're leading with the differences, and yet they want to have a global community. Look at how Jesus unites such diversity. Look at what Jesus does. Look at how Jesus is, and God's goal is to bring together the world in a new heavens and new earth of one close family of God. And look at how he does it. Our individual identity becomes what? What does our individual identity become as Christians? It becomes Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. I am his. I love him. He is my primary love in life. He died for me. He took my sins. He hung on the cross for me. He purchased the salvation of all of my sins. He loves me. He's for me. He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father praying for me. He's my elder brother. He's my high priest. He's my sacrificial lamb. He's my all in all. He's the vine. I'm a branch. He's the head. I'm the body. He's the bride. He's the groom. We're the bride. He's, I'm one with him. Everything that I have flows from him. Forgiveness and righteousness and life. He is everything to me now. If that becomes, he becomes your life. If he becomes your identity. See what Paul says in verse 14? For he himself is our peace. If he becomes all of that to you, what will happen? What will happen if you meet another person who feels the same way about him? 
what will happen in your relationship with him? So I, I, I run into a stranger. And this person is very different socioeconomically or culturally or anything for me. I run into a stranger. And I talk to this stranger. And everything the world says should be happening should be, I'm a white male. That's the worst thing in the world you can be right now. I'm a white male. And I meet a black female. Or I meet a Hispanic. Or I meet somebody who's, who's rich. Or I meet somebody who's poor. I meet somebody who's this or who's that. And as I get to know this person that the world says I shouldn't have anything to do with or I should be so different from, we should have so many issues right now between us. And I perceive by having a conversation with this person that this person standing over here is very different than me, loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He's her life. He's her purpose. He's her meaning. He's her sacrifice. He's her atoning blood. He's her sacrificial lamb. He's everything for her. He has her primary love. I look at my sister, whether she's black or Asian or different or richer than me, they're poorer than me or smarter than me or dumber than me. I look at her as my sister. I feel a closeness to her more than I feel with other white males who are different, who don't have this love for Jesus. And for those of us who have traveled and those of us who have been in other mission fields and gone to mission, you've, you've sensed the power of this. You know the power of this. You've said, I've been in dirt floors, dirt floors, corrugated roof, concrete block in Africa. I'm the only white person, black people all around me, and I feel like I am in my family here. These are my people. We are worshiping and praising Jesus together. We've been in the Dominican Republic. Many of you have been in the Dominican Republic, the same situation. And these Hispanic folks are different. And sometimes they're even using a different language. But I know the tune of the song. And so I sing it in English. And these are my people. This is my family. We have been reconciled and united. I feel a closeness and attachment to these people. That's what Jesus does. He's bringing together the world and forming bonds of unity with one another. And that's God's whole plan. We already saw it. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 10 when Paul says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ Jesus, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. God, this is what God does. He brings people together. He brings them as one. And I believe that God delights so much in watching his people loving and uniting with one another. Let's bring this home right here. Let's bring it right here to this place. Let's bring this home right here. God, I've been in this church. I'm starting in my 19th year here. This church has been blessed by incredible unity for the last 19 years. I can't, I can't speak before that, but I, I know my experience here. This church has been blessed by unity, by unity, by closeness, by a oneness. And we often use the phrase here, church family. Many of you, I know I do, many of you feel more attached to the people that are in this church than you feel even to your blood family members, many of them, and, and, and such. This is your family. This is the church family. And Satan has tried to, to destroy that unity in, in our church here and a couple times. In the 19 years that I've been here, Satan, Satan's tried some, he's tried some stuff, but he's been crushed every time. 
He's been crushed every time. Paul says that. He says to the Romans, there was somebody trying to cause disunity in the church. He says, Satan will be crushed under your feet soon. You're going to stamp this out. And Satan was crushed here, and he wasn't able to, to really majorly impact that unity. Why? Why? Well, by God's sovereign grace and love and power. There's nothing we've done. But I think it's because our eyes have always been focused on Jesus. Not on each other, not on our agendas, not on ourselves, not trying to make a name for ourselves. It's been focused on Jesus. And we love each other so much because we love Jesus so much. And that's where unity comes in. And so I want to urge you, I want to urge you, especially as we go through this section, I want to urge you. You have a job to do now. I have a job to do now. We need to take a passage like this that we're looking at, as well as all of Ephesians, and we need to do some hard work with ourselves. And we need to say to ourselves, do I believe this is true about me? God said it. Do I really believe it? And is this truth? You are a fellow citizen. You are part of God's family. You are the temple that he is building. The spirit of God dwells within you. Does that truth so deeply impact me that it forms the very identity of who I am, how I see myself, how I react, what I do. That's our job. We're to take these truths and we're to embrace them. See, this is what Paul's doing in Ephesians. You're blessed. God's for you. God's loved you. God's put you in the family. You're part of this new humanity. You're great. This is what God has done. God has done great things for you. This is great. Take it in and, and imbibe it. Rejoice in it. Be thankful. Be happy. Be hopeful. Have joy. This is what we're supposed to do. God hasn't told us one thing to do in this entire text. He's just like, would you please just accept how greatly I have blessed you? Be happy. Dear ones, we got to get to the point that that becomes the most important thing for us. We've got to be like Paul and Silas, who when they're arrested falsely, beaten with rods, shackled in the darkest part of the prison, wake up out of their coma at midnight and start singing the themes that make up the book of Ephesians. Oh, God, thank you that we're in your kingdom. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the body. It's a joy that the circumstances of the world can't impact. It's an identity that is so much greater than Democrat or Republican or, or white or black or his, uh, uh, gay or straight. It's an identity. It's a glorious identity that is so much richer and so much greater and so much more glorious than the banal world of this modern world. Rise above it. Rise above it because it's true. Dear ones, take this stuff home. Pray about it. Pray it into your life. Get to the point that your heart starts beating with joy because these truths are true for you and for us and it's who we are and it forms our identity. Finally, let me say this. If there are any of you who are here who are still far away, you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're not part of God's family. You're on the outside. Why? Why are you still there? Why are you resisting coming to Christ? Why are you putting this off? Are you distracted? 
Are you going to go to hell because you're distracted? Are you lethargic? Are you lethargic as you're scrolling your phone in this world and its identity and its politics and its fighting made you just kind of lethargic about God? Are you going to go to hell because you're lethargic? Why? Is there some sin that you love showing that you deserve hell? Why are you outside when now the gate stands open? Come, come in. God's calling you. Come in, come in. Christ has been sacrificed. The blood has been shed. The cross is behind us. The offer of forgiveness is here. Come and be a citizen. Come and be my child. Come and be saved. Come and have everlasting life. Come and be forgiven. See, this is who God is. This is God. God is like this. Come, rest me, reconcile. Come into my family. Come into my kingdom. Come, come, don't resist me. Come, come. Oh, dear ones, that you would hear his voice right now speaking to you. Come to me. Come to me. I'm calling you in love. Come to me. Have everlasting life. I will be your father. And I will hold you and love you forever. Come. Oh, dear ones, don't resist. Don't let the devil stop you. Children, if you are here and you're hearing this, teenagers, if, you're, if you've been pushing off Christ, older folks, if you're here and you've been just resisting and your heart is hard, oh, please, open your heart and hear his invitation and come to Christ. Now bow your head and say, oh, Lord, I come. Oh, Lord, I come just as I am. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, cleanse me. Oh, God, adopt me. Oh, God, send me. Bring me into your kingdom. Oh, God, make me one of this, this new humanity. And guess what God's going to say? Yes. Yes. Because God is a God of grace. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. You were good that you would come into a room of such sinful people as us and remind us of how much you love us and remind us of what immense privileges you've given us and remind us that you are for us and remind us that you want to have a forever relationship with us. Oh, Father, we praise you. We thank you. We glorify you that you have done so much. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are our peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You perished upon the cross. You bled to death that we would be saved, that a middle wall would be broken, that we who were far out would be brought in. You've made us one new humanity, and you've reconciled us to your Father. You are our peace. We praise you. We thank you. If there are any here now who need you, who need to be drawn in, oh, Father, I pray, save Save them with your sovereign, mighty power. Save them and work and move, we pray. Save our children. Save our teenagers. Save our young adults here. Save, these, save those who maybe for years now have been resisting you. Save, we pray. Save. Come with power and save. Doesn't it not give great glory to you that they be saved rather than perish? Save and work and move, we pray. And we'll give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.